your shoes are better than someone else's shoes, right? Well, this is what we might call boasting or glorying, right? And it happens a lot with children. It also happens with adults. Um, that we find something that we really like or that we really are happy about and we feature it and we show it to others. So it could be my ring pop is bigger than your ring pop, right? It could be, um, boy, look at my nice new car that I got, right? Whatever it is, it's, it's glorying and it's valuing it and you're kind of showcasing it to others. In this passage, we're going to see how Paul looked at Jesus. And the way that he looked at Jesus influenced the way he looked at everything else. And there, some of the text that we're studying is a little complicated. Some of it is not so complicated at all. And it's all important for us here tonight. In verse 1, he begins by saying, My brothers, finally my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. If you remember, rejoicing is a key theme in Philippians, isn't it? He talks about rejoicing in chapter 1. He talks about rejoicing in chapter 2. He talks about it in chapter 3. And obviously, in chapter 4, he does as well. And he urges these people to rejoice. Rejoice because you are the Lord's. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. In a way, we would compare this phrase to the Old Testament word, hallelujah. The Old Testament word, hallelujah, means what? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, as the song would go, right? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. And as he continues on, it, there's a way in which it seems like it's a little disconnected at first. But I think what he's getting to is he's showing how he values Christ. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. And as we value the Lord Jesus, it enables us to rejoice. And can I flip that around and say the opposite? As we devalue Jesus, it saps away our joy. It takes away that, that rejoicing that we have. So he goes on to say, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now, I don't know if, uh, I don't know all that he's saying when he says to write the same things. He might be saying the same as other things he wrote. He might be saying the same thing that Timothy and Epaphroditus would say. Maybe saying just the same things he had told them prior in person. But he's repeating himself. In some level here, he's repeating himself. And he says, to me, it's not grievous. So it's not a problem to me. Paul says, I don't mind saying the same thing again. I can repeat myself. But he says, for you, it is what? Safe. Safe. For you, it is safe. And Paul says, I'm repeating myself for your benefit to try to help you out. And now he, he kind of launches into this warning, which is very different from the other passages that we've read so far in Philippians. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, as we um, read this, I don't think he's referencing three separate things. And first of all, let's start off with beware of the dogs. All right, I don't think this is the sign that you see at people's house that says beware of dogs, okay? Um, Paul's not really worried about literal dogs. You know, have, has anybody here ever been bitten by a dog? Okay, and uh, do you still have nightmares? Okay, so dogs can be dangerous. But dogs can be dangerous, and Paul calls some people dogs here. He's referring to people, not dogs. And he calls some people dogs, and he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. I think you will appreciate it if I put 
put this on him. It may help him out there. Watch out for the dogs. He says, well, who are these dogs? Well, first, let's just quickly mention that dogs themselves were a despised animal. They were Levitically unclean. Thank you, son. I apologize. I, I messed him up. That was my fault. They were Levitically unclean. And dogs in that time were not like pets like we think of them. They would roam the streets. They would fight. They would eat trash and, and just kind of be a problem. And, you know, maybe the only other reference that we might immediately think of is where the woman talks to Jesus and, and she says, but the food is cast to the dogs. And she kind of refers to herself as a dog in that instance. In, but in this passage, Paul's talking about some people that taught false doctrine. So instead of a literal animal coming to bite you and to bring you physical harm, instead this is a person who's coming in with false teaching and in a way we could say that they spiritually would wound you, they spiritually would bite you and would cause spiritual pain. What these people were coming along and teaching is that you had to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Now, some people... There, some, there's a range of, of teachings, and some people say there are lost Jews that would teach this. Others would say they're truly born again, but they're adding to it. Um, regardless, Paul's very clear. He opposes them with very strong language, and he calls them dogs, and he calls them evil workers, and he also calls them the mutilation. All right, the mutilation. Now, this word in Greek is very similar to circumcision. But he doesn't use the word circumcision. He uses a word that's very similar. And it refers to cutting, it, mutilation, and I think the Old King James says concision. And the idea is that this is someone, this word is used a lot of pagans who would cut themselves and would mutilate themselves and would harm their body in, in worship of these false deities. And the point of it all is that that doesn't actually help you at all, right? Sadly, today, sometimes there are people that have a lot of emotional problems and they have a lot of pain in their heart. And sometimes they will literally cut their body. Um, and, and there's different explanations for why they do it. But the point is it's, it's harmful and it doesn't help them in any way spiritually. It's a harmful thing. And if, if you know, any of you ever have feelings like that, you need to reach out to someone you trust to, to help you with it. But in this passage, he's calling these people and he's saying they've mutilated their bodies without any purpose, without any meaning. And he's talking about people that were circumcised, but he's calling it mutilation. Paul's using a derogatory term, and what he's pointing out is that circumcision itself has no spiritual value. And he's saying you have, here come the false teachers, these dogs, and they'll teach you to circumcise yourself and to do this to yourself with spiritual meaning. And really, it's just nothing but cutting your body. There's no spiritual benefit to it at all. And he uses similar language uh, or similar concept in Galatians 5 when he, he talks about these Jewish Judaizers and he tells, he tells the Galatians this, I wish they were cut off these people that troubled you. I wish they were cut off. What we're saying here is that Paul's saying, watch out for some false teachers. Watch out for these people that teach false things. And if I could just make a present day application, do you know that false teaching is still alive and well? There is still false teaching today. And in fact, even some of the same types of teaching we're reading about are being taught today. 
I was shocked to find a, a, a Christian that lived pretty near our home. He worked for a, um, a bigger Christian ministry in the area, and I knew him to love the Lord and so on, and recently found out that he's joined a group similar to this that we're reading about in the text, and they only meet on Saturday, and they observe the Sabbath, and they follow the law, and they do all the Old Testament feasts, and I say to myself, hold on a minute, um, how... Do we, do we not read the same New Testament? Do we not read Hebrews? Do we not read Galatians? How would we go back under the law? Paul minces no words. He says, these teachers are dogs. And these teachers are out to harm you and to hurt you. They're evil workers. And you need to be aware. Just this Sunday, I was talking with Brother Met. And Brother Met was saying that he had a family member call him um, uh, that's over in Kenya. And this family member was sharing with him that their pastor has been preaching prosperity theology. And prosperity theology teaches that if you're closer to God, you get more wealthy and you have a better life the closer you get to God. And, and they were talking about some of the problems with that. And prosperity theology is right here in the USA as well. Be aware of the dangers of, of prosperity theology. We could list off a number of false teachings, but Paul's worried about them. And he says, you need to be aware. You need to be careful. Now listen to verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, we are the circumcision. And he, first he used the word mutilation, which is the not religious word. It's not the respectful word, or the word that the Jews would use of themselves. But then he says, we Christians are the circumcision. Now this, you know, if, if there would have been a Judaizer reading this, I think their head would have probably exploded in anger, right? What do you mean you're the circumcision? Come on. But Paul, notice how Paul says we are. He doesn't say I am. He says we are the circumcision. And this is a, um, this is a strange phrase. But Paul's saying that we have a circumcision, a true circumcision, if you will, that these false teachers do not have. Now, I want you to hold your place here and turn with me over to Colossians, which is to the right in your Bible. Colossians chapter 2. It's a couple pages to the right. Colossians chapter 2, and I want you to notice what it tells us, and we'll begin reading in verse 10. Colossians 2, 10. And it says this, And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power, in whom, that is in Christ, you are, you are also circumcised with the circumcision, what are the next three words? Made without hands. There's a circumcision that happens, and it goes on to say in the verse, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, Jesus removes our sins and casts them away from us. And when Paul says we are the circumcision, he's talking about a circumcision not made with hands, a spiritual circumcision that even Gentiles and even physically uncircumcised people have. They have a spiritual work of Jesus done in their life. And he says, we are the circumcision. Notice what else he says. We are the circumcision, and he gives three descriptors, who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Boy, I don't know. I might could just stop and preach right on this verse. This is a description of believers. This is Christians. This is those who have received the Lord by faith. And it says first that we worship 
God in the Spirit. We worship God in the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit with us, together we worship the Lord Almighty. And this sounds familiar to John 4.24, doesn't it? Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I guess the first phrase of that verse says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And this is a descriptor of those who are truly the Lord Jesus's. We worship God in the spirit. This word worship was used of the priests in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, the, the description here is worshiping God in the Spirit, and then next is rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Remember how the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will speak of Christ? And so we worship God in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. We've already received Him in faith, and we rejoice in the Lord Jesus. He just got done saying a couple of verses ago, rejoice in the Lord. And now he says, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Does that description describe you? Do you rejoice in Jesus? If you've been circumcised by Christ, you have a reason to rejoice in Him because He has cast off your sins from you. And He has put them as far as the east is from the west. But I want you to notice the final description. And have no confidence in the flesh. And have no confidence in the flesh. This does not, this third one is not like the first two, is it? The first two is we worship God in the Spirit. Second one, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. But now he says we have no confidence in the flesh. That word confidence gives the idea of faith or reliance, right? And he's saying if we have received the circumcision of Jesus Christ, then that means that we don't have confidence in the flesh. What would it mean to have confidence in the flesh? Does that mean pumping iron? You know, I have confidence I can lift this 14 more times. Confidence in the flesh. No, it's not talking about our, our physical bodies per se, but it's talking about having confidence in things of this world, fleshly, worldly things. And I, want, I just want to be clear that these, these people who had received Christ and received this circumcision, they rejected some other things. And you know, there's, there's something to be made clear here, and that is that if I'm going to receive Christ, I have to say no to those other things I was believing in before Christ. Um, I heard a debate once going back and forth. It was a Christian apologist and an atheistic type student. And they were talking about how they couldn't place their faith in Christ. And they just said, I can't believe and I just don't, there's not enough evidence, and on and on they went. And the apologist pointed out to him, he said, but if you don't believe in Christ, he said, you're believing in something else. You're, you're rejecting him to hold to something else. And you, you have to consider what that something else is. And he was talking with this one about this. Well, here's the point of what Paul's saying. If I've received Christ, and I love him, and I've worshipped him, and he's forgiven me, then that means I don't have confidence in those other things that could supposedly cleanse me. In today's era, you know what some of those things are? We reject things like this. Infant baptism, the Eucharist, creeds, baptismal regeneration, church membership, and other religious deeds that people believe will justify them. You say, Pastor John, 
I thought, I thought you uh, baptized people. We do, but we don't believe in baptismal regeneration, right? We don't put our faith in our baptism, right? We don't put our faith in our church membership. We don't put our faith in reciting the words of the Apostles' Creed. We don't do any of that. Why? Because we don't have confidence in anything other than Christ Himself. Christ Himself. He says we are the circumcision, and we have no confidence in the flesh. So if you compare this up with the Judaizers, the Judaizers are coming along and they were saying things like this. Well, it's good that you've received Christ. It's good that you've been saved. But now, if you want to have true spiritual enlightenment, you need to follow the law. And you need to be circumcised. And you need to follow the feasts. And they would go on with their list of things that they had to do. And they would kind of put Jesus as like a starting point. And you just kind of move beyond and above Jesus. And he says, no, no, we have no confidence in the flesh. We have no trust in that. When he says the flesh here, he doesn't mean the sin nature. He just means this earthly realm. Um, a good example of this word being used elsewhere in the same way is when Jesus talked to Nicodemus. Do you remember he talked to Nicodemus and he said, you must, you, you must be born again. And then in the next verse, he said, John 3, 6, what is born of the flesh is flesh and what is born of the spirit is spirit. And that's the distinction that's being made here. We don't put confidence in physical things, in physical you know, rituals, or a, a physical world at all. There's nothing we can do physically that can help us be saved. But we do put confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is warning them, and he's saying, be careful of adding to Christ. Christ is the center and the hope of your faith, and people that come along and try to undermine that are not your friend. They're not your friend. Um, the, these Judaizers were affecting the faith of others, and I think Paul is worried about them, and he's saying, be aware, they may come to you. They've been to other places, and watch out for them. Watch out for these false teachers. I'm trying to decide where, where we're going to stop. I think we're going to stop here at verse 3. We have no confidence in the flesh. Let me just say that sometimes there are people that get offended when we refuse some of these items that I listed off. Um, infant baptism, the Eucharist, creeds, baptismal regeneration, church membership, all these religious deeds that people do and put faith in, specifically that's the issue, putting faith in these different things. And when we say, no, that's not, no, no, it's just, it's faith in Jesus only. Like, like we, we, we don't add to it. We don't add baptism to faith in Jesus. And we don't add uh, these other things. It's, it's just Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. And unfortunately, some people will insert, uh, yeah, but you also have to have a certain church or you also have to have, you know, this or that or whatever it is. And they try to add things to the gospel. And um, it's, very, it's very sad and it's very disturbing. And... I wanted to close by looking up the hymn in our songbook. We won't necessarily sing it, but I want to read the words to you from Rock of Ages. And in the, the words to Rock of Ages, it's a little bit sad that our hymnal only has three of the four verses. Um, but let me read the three that we have, and I might remember the, four, the other. Um, I meant to insert it in my notes, but let's, let's look at, I'm going to read them, and we'll talk about them briefly, and then we'll close. The song says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Who's that? Who's the Rock of Ages? Jesus. Jesus is the Rock of Ages. And he's cleft, that means he's carved out for us. 
Let me hide myself in thee. So we hide ourselves in the rock that is Jesus. Then it says, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. All right, so when, when Jesus' side was pierced with the spear, out flowed their water and blood. And then it says, be of sin the double cure. All right, so this water and blood from Jesus is going to cure us in two ways. The first, it says, is save from wrath. So the first way that Jesus rescues us is he saves us from wrath. And then the second one, it says, make me pure. In other words, we're saved out of wrath and judgment, but then we're made righteous, we're made holy. And both of those things happen through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Now listen to verse 2. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? Now, what, what would tears have to do with trusting Jesus? Being sorry for your sins, right? Being sorry for your sins. And in here he says, if my tears could flow on and on forever, if I just could never stop crying for my sin, would that be enough to erase my sins? And the answer is no. Could my zeal no longer know? If I could live my life 100% fully zealous for the Lord, would that be enough to wash away my sin? The next phrase, these for sin could not atone. Our crying doesn't save us. Our life for Christ doesn't save us. It's not in our zeal. It's not in our sorrow. It's, and then he goes on to say, thou must save and thou alone. Notice his next line. In my hand, no price I bring. When I come to Jesus for my salvation, I don't come with any price. What does he mean by price? He means payment. We don't come to the Lord Jesus with any payment. We don't come saying, you know what? I'm going to trust you, Jesus, for my forgiveness. And I want you to see here, I want you to see that I've been coming to church every Sunday this year as well. So we have your payment plus my church attendance equals forgiveness. No, we don't bring anything in our hands. Simply to thy cross I cling. Then, um, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Um, rats, I'm going to wish I had that other verse. But verse 3 says, while I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Paul said we put no confidence in the flesh. Zero. Our hope, our spiritual confidence is in Christ Jesus. And we don't add to that. It's simply Jesus Christ. And um, I know in a day of religious confusion that there are other things that are kind of mixed in and added in. And sometimes people will kind of use some double speak and they'll say, well, it's this and it's that. And um, we just want to be clear that salvation is only in the Lord Jesus. And there's no effort that we can do on our parts to add to any of the payment. It is all of his payment. We are but to believe and receive it. And uh, we come empty handed when we come to the cross. All right, let's bow in prayer and we'll take any questions. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for these few verses. And Paul has warned these about the false teachings. And Lord, I pray for our own church that we would be protected from false teaching in any small or big way. Help us not to believe lies. Help us to believe your word and understand it and, and live it. Lord, um, we know that around us are people that are blinded by false teaching and false religion and we pray that you would shine clearly 
and that you would help us as we seek to point people to you that that they would see that it is Jesus only for their souls and uh, help us to make this gospel clear and uh, help us in our own living that we would indeed worship you in spirit and uh, that we would indeed rejoice in Christ our Savior. Uh, May we be a people who remember that you have forgiven us and may we never forget. In Jesus' name, amen.